Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And on today's episode, you are going to be so inspired. At least I think you are. (laughs) I just had an incredible conversation with today's guest. Her name is Kate Manser, and she is the author of a book called You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today. And what you will find in the way that Kate speaks, how she expresses and how she shares her story, there is something so refreshing, not just in her authenticity, but she just has a way of communicating and articulating her ideas and thoughts and experiences that feel just like a jolt of inspiration. And her goal is to help you and me and all of us to live a more alive life. So this was a very interesting conversation. Um, Yeah, I can't wait to share this with you. So again, her book is called You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today. And if you want to purchase the book, you can get the physical copy or you can also download the Audible book through Audible. And you can learn more about her work overall at katemanser.com. The link is down in the show description. She is an author, a coach, and a keynote speaker. And you can follow her on Instagram at the Alive Kate. So before we get into this episode, I also want to let you know that the Reiki Rays Global Healing Summit is still going on, but you are only down to the last few days of being able to get the early bird all access special for 70% off. So the summit is absolutely free. You can watch the summit for free on November 11th. They will start disseminating videos, um, the interviews about five to six every day over about a five day period. But what happens is you only have 24 hours to watch the videos if you do the free option. And you know, it may be a little challenging to watch five to six interviews a day. So what you can do is you can get the all access early bird special, go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com, and you will see how to register and get that discount um, today. And that gives you access to the entire summit over 30 interviews. There's even some downloads, some bonuses for you. And you can get that for, I believe it's $57 right now, but the price will go up on November 11th. So There are some incredible guests. Um, I personally got to interview or to host 17 of the interviews, and that was speaking to 22 different people. And it is amazing to hear what people are studying as it relates to Reiki, more research that's being done into the history of Reiki, how people are implementing Reiki into their communities and just even different um, areas of business and healthcare. So there's a lot to learn from a lot that will inspire you there as well. So that is it. I will see you on the other side of this beautiful conversation with Kate Manser. I hope you enjoy it. Bye for now. Hey everyone, welcome to Reiki Radio. Today we're here with the beautiful Kate Manser. 
And we're going to have a discussion about harnessing the magic of life. I just want to thank you, first of all, for making the time for this conversation today. Mm, it's a beautiful day to be alive today, Yolanda, and there's nowhere I'd rather be. Truly, I, I say that with, with zero uh, performativeness. Like, yeah. I'm so excited to meet you. I also wanted to just start this episode by congratulating you on 10 years of a podcast. And I think you just crossed 300 episodes, did you not? You know, it's so funny you say that. I got a message from someone on the day that happened and they were like, oh, congrats. I was like, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> but thank you very much. <laughs> That's insane. I mean, honestly, before we came on, we were just talking about our star signs and as uh, and, and Aries, sticking with something is an absolutely a growth area for me. And so I'm just looking at you being like, okay, Yolanda's my <laughs> inspiration. She stuck with it for 10 years, 300 episodes, and think how many people you've inspired in this time. Oh, thank you so much, my love. Listen, it's an easy thing to stick to, especially because genuinely I get to meet people like you. And that to me is so much fun, just that we can have these conversations and know that other people will relate or be inspired. And yeah, I'm so thankful to be able to do it. And speaking of that, I can't wait for us to get to know you. <laughs> I was reading so much about your work, but I want to start with the shocking title of your book. Just so everyone knows, Kate is an author, a coach, and a keynote speaker. But the name of your book, I was like, okay, wait a minute. You might die tomorrow, but then so live today. And when I saw the title of that alone, it's interesting what erupts in us, just the thought of death. And, you know, what if I do die tomorrow? So I'm going to come back around and we're going to talk about this book, but I want to know what even started your path of awakening. What even got you on this journey? Mm, I'm so excited to share that with you and everyone who's listening. And it's one of the reasons I was excited to come on your show is how you really, you prize these moments of awakening and give people a chance to share their stories. And I think you've probably discovered and everyone who listens to you discovers that sometimes awakenings are really big, sometimes small and everything in between. So the story I'm about to share was for me a really big moment in my life. But as we talk about awakenings, I always think it's important to remind ourselves that just because we awaken once doesn't mean that we're walking on clouds and roses for the rest of our lives, that I still mess up every day. I struggle. My awakening was in 2015-ish, and last year, 2022, was one of the most challenging like depressed, dark years of my life. Mm -hmm. And in that comes an awakening as well. So I'll just preface it with, by that, because I think it's always important to remind people that we're just humans, all of us, and we're just doing our best. And thank you for giving us the platform to, to talk about our experiences. No, absolutely. It's interesting hearing you say that last year was one of the most challenging. And then to sit here looking at you, you know, just that alone, we often only see the surface and have no idea of what people have gone through and how you could sit here today just so beautifully, even going through something that was so challenging, that in and of itself is an inspiration. So what happened? What, what mm -hmm. caused it to be such a challenge? So I was around 28 at the time and just kind of going through my life, doing what I thought I was supposed to do, following the blueprint that I was supposed to follow according to society and my parents and who I thought I was supposed to be to be accepted by others as we kind of 
do. And uh, in the span of six months, the first thing that happened was in the span of six months, I had three of my friends die unexpectedly in just unrelated, unexpected events. Uh, one of them was a, a family member around my same age. One of them was a friend from college around my same age. And the other was actually my boss at Google. Mm. Uh, also, he was 27. So they're all around like late 20s, early 30s. And that was not where the awakening happened. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, what happened after that, and any of you who are listening, who have experienced the unexpected loss of someone less than, say, 86 years old, you can understand what I went through, which was not only grieving the loss of those three individual wonderful people, but it was like for the first time, I really realized, oh my gosh, we can die at any moment. And even young people die. And it sounds silly to say it out loud. Like, yeah, we, we know that we're all mortal and that you can die at any time. But to really feel that, as I think some of you probably have, uh, I got really scared. <laughs> the first thing I did was I thought death was hiding out for me around every corner. So uh -huh. I was afraid to drive my car because I thought all these bad things were going to happen on the road. Any phone call I received, I would get a panic attack thinking it was going to be more bad news. And I became a connoisseur and expert at the rare art of obsessive Google search diagnoses of rare, definitely fatal diseases. Yeah. I don't know if you have all gone down that rabbit hole before, but basically it was just me afraid of death and thinking that um, that it can come at any moment. That was terrifying to me. Now, at the same time that I was so scared, uh, I was watching a friend and colleague of mine, Dan Friedenberg, just live his most vibrant life. He had a way cooler job than I did at Google. He climbed mountains for fun. Dan, he, he started this really cool environmental nonprofit, this awesome other side hustle, which is he's just out there living. And the, the whole time he's doing all these cool things, he's also just having a great time with it. He's one of those people that's just dazzling and, and vibrant and has a great time. And that didn't really compute with me at that time because, you know, I was, I had downloaded this idea that to be successful adult, I had to be serious and productive and, and all of those things. And, uh, what happened was Dan attempted to summit Mount Everest. It was actually his third attempt. And while he was up, um, close to the peak of the mountain, that was the day that the Nepal earthquake struck in 2015, oh, wow. uh, 7.8 magnitude earthquake. Yeah. And Dan didn't make it. Wow. He didn't make it. And you'd think that that was the moment that would have forever cemented, like, don't live a vibrant life. Don't have adventures. Don't do anything out of the box because I was already afraid of death. And then another friend of mine dies on this great adventure, but actually this is where my awakening happened. And I'll pause here. If you have any questions or reflections you want to share before I share uh, what happened after that. Um, but it was very unexpected and powerful. It's incredibly interesting, Kate. I have to say, I um, so many questions. One that comes up is I would love to talk about after the story about what our fear is around death anyway. Um, the other thing is very interesting. I think it was, it started in 2020, but I also had three friends die back to back. And interestingly, it, I had more of the lens of what happened to you after the fourth, right? So I, I, um, 
of course, grieve, however, whatever that looks like and how that happens. But what struck me with each of them is what about their life and their friendship inspired me. So Mm. in losing them, that's what came up for me right away is like, I need to live. I need to live more fully. And memory is all we have. So that's really what struck me with their deaths is that at the end of the day, all we really have are the memories of our experiences. So I need to really embrace that and live. And it was each of them as people, whatever their gift was, is what became an inspiration to me. So it's really interesting, but I want to know in that moment of, oh my gosh, this person died. I'm afraid of death, but a light bulb went off still anyway of, I need to live. It made me think even when you're saying it, but he passed away doing what he loved. You know, exactly. I mean, like that in of itself, rather than you hear the stories on of people like in hospice who at the end of life regret that they didn't live or they didn't do the mm-hmm. things that they dreamed of. So, yeah. So please continue what happened. Mm. Oh my gosh. I'm so <laughs> happy we're having this conversation. I mean, you said so many beautiful things in that. And one of them, I'll, I'll touch on a few of them. The top regret of the dying is I wish I'd lived a life true to myself and not the life other to, others expected of me. Yeah. So think about that. I wish I'd lived a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. If you want to do something powerful right now in this moment, look at the different areas of your life, what you wear, how you decorate your home what your job is, your relationship that you're in or you're not in, how you behave around other people, how you carry yourself and ask yourself be with radical honesty, honesty, am I doing that because that's really me and that's what I want for my life and that's part of my dream and my vision or am I doing that to satisfy society or my parents or to make a certain amount of money or to fit in with a group that I think will get me to a certain level of maybe self-worth and ask yourself whether that self-worth is really um, true and honest or if it's more of a hollow source of self-worth. And the other beautiful thing that you said was, you know, all we have is the memory. And yes, absolutely. All we have is the memory and our most valuable resources in life are our time and our energy, right? You can always make more money. You can almost never make more time. Uh, And we have a, a limited quantity of energy as well. So what I did is I contrasted my life with Dan's and I realized that I was putting all of my time and energy into trying not to die. I was trying, putting all of my energy into hiding myself because not only was I afraid to die, I was afraid to be me. Wow. And I think when you just ask the question, why are we afraid of death or what is it about death that's scary? I think there are people, there are many of us that have fears around death. Sure. That's totally normal. But I think the fear that most of us have is not not really living before we die. And the weird thing is that dying is not really an in our control. So here I am putting all my energy into trying not to die when guess what? I'm going to die anyways. And let's be real. I might not climb Everest, but I'm pretty klutzy. I could probably die climbing the stairs. Meanwhile, here's Dan living his life and putting all his energy and his lifetime into living. And that's what's in our control. 
we don't really have control over when or how we die, but we do have control over how we live until that mystery moment comes. And so if you have a fear of, of dying without really living, know that it's fully within your control to work through that fear. And the way that you do that is by being you, right? We think, oh, I have to climb Everest. I have to write a book. I need to start a nonprofit. But really, it's about authenticity because you, Yolanda, and everyone listening, you're given all these unique qualities and the funny way your eye crinkles up when you smile and that weird cowlick in your hair and your unique gifts and idiosyncrasies and areas of growth. Why are we here if not to discover those and share them? And so a lot of people are like, I don't know my purpose. Like, yes, okay, I can embrace mortality and let that create urgency and clarity for me. But what do I do? And it sounds stupid, but I say, enjoy your life. Because the thing is, is Dan did a lot of cool things in his life, but I don't think I would really have paid as much attention to Dan just because he had a cool job at Google and started a nonprofit and you know, did all these societally cool things. The reason I was so electrified and enamored by the way Dan lived is because he enjoyed his life. And so if you're looking for a purpose, enjoy your life because that enjoyment creates profound ripples. That is incredible. Okay. And now you've said so much, right? The thing, one of the things that you said that really struck me is, you know, having that consideration for what we're doing and not doing and really having the reflection of, well, what's my motivation? Like, why would I prevent myself from being more in my authenticity? And then also, what does motivate the things that I make absolutely time and space for? And mm -hmm. it's so interesting, Kate, because with what you're saying, I know a lot of us are in a tug of war of, you know, can I trust following my authentic calling or pull or inspirations versus kind of toying with or stepping out of completely the security that society has given me structure to believe like is the only way, the only right way. So it makes me really curious too. I mean, just even hearing the way you frame it, like you were trying so hard not to die. And instead we have only control of how we live. That in of itself is like, these are powerful statements, but how did you get to know yourself? Because even in this, let's say if I said, you know what, Kate, you're right. I'm going to live. I would imagine there was a part of you that had to even come to terms with, well, what does that look like for me? Because I might not want to climb Everest, but mm -hmm. <laughs> what was that like just exploring you or did that happen? Well, you asked, you know, if we realize that we want to live and then it's like you said, well, why, why wouldn't we do that? Mm -hmm. And the reason is that is because it's scary to really get to know our true selves and to really live boldly and to have courage to step out of maybe the societal blueprint path and wear the weird things that we want to wear when it's different from the pack. It is scary, right? And we, you know, part of living boldly and creatively is, and living fully alive is, comes along with fear of mistakes and messing up, fear of standing up and being seen, fear of, uh, 
well, also self-censorship and imposter syndrome. Like these are very real fears, but in working through those fears and in using mortality as the motivation to work through those fears, that's how we become our highest self. And the one thing I always want to remind people, well, the two things I really always want to bring up when I talk about living your most alive life is that it's not just about creating your most alive life. Uh, it's not just about climbing Mount Everest or going skydiving or doing any of these really big things. And sure, to be fair, an alive life probably includes some big shifts, as Dan liked to call them. However, in my path studying this, what I realized is that truly living alive is about noticing the beauty of being alive on any given day. So for me, living alive is waking up in the morning and being like, yeah, I got another <laughs> shot. I'm awake again, right? Truly living alive is, well, and this is one of the reasons I quit drinking actually is because here I am, I had written a book. I I, I wrote, uh, this whole awakening happened about eight years ago. And then four years ago was when I got sober. And the reason that I got sober was because I looked around my life and how I was had written a book about living alive and relishing every moment. And that's what all my values were around. They were around appreciating all of the wonder of being alive on a given day. But here I was spending a fair portion of my time anesthetizing myself with alcohol. And so in my pursuit of aliveness, I was like, oh, alcohol is making me feel less alive as opposed to more alive. And that's where I opted to take it away. And so the two things I like to talk about when it comes to living alive are number one, don't just think that it's the big life changes of, you know, quitting your job or traveling around the world or moving into a tiny house or starting the nonprofit. Like, yes, do those things. But also remember that it's the small moments. It's really feeling your day. It's really taking time to connect with a beautiful person such as yourself and the people in your life. And the other thing is that, you know, it's about showing who we are Mm -hmm. and living your best life in the words of Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just a process of creation. It's also a process of destruction because in order to really figure out who we are and to live our fullest expressions of ourselves, we have to remove our masks and we have to stop lying to ourselves about certain things. And we have to get out of denial and we have to move through self-doubt and we have to have the courage to um, stand out. And this is not like a boom flip the switch and suddenly you have the courage to do all of these things and you're on the stage and you're shining your brightest. No, this creation and this destruction, it's a process that we go through our whole lives. And that's beautiful. And that's part of the gift of being alive. And so it's not so much even what we do, it's figuring out and having the courage to be who we are. That in of itself is quite a feat, right? I mean, it's it's so interesting that you would think the sound of it, be your authentic self. It sounds so beautiful, but it's that journey of getting there and how uncomfortable it can be to even recognize or realize the masks that we've worn or the stories we've claimed as true for ourselves or even just letting go of the fact that we have decided 
to live in an inauthentic way. And then just some change is so uncomfortable. And I think that's why it takes so long. And I hope that people really hear what you said and have some grace with yourself as you start to have the realization, because it is a process, like you'll recognize some things, but then what do you do with what you recognize? And that in of itself may take some time. I have to say just for anyone um, not watching the video, it's beautiful. All of these rainbows, it's like prism somewhere <laughs> in your arena. So like rainbows are yeah. flashing all over you. It's gorgeous. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you about something in particular, but another thing you said was living um, most alive also includes our connectedness and recognizing that. And it's interesting because I think that's one of the things that a lot of people feel they don't have time for because we prioritize or feel that we have to, in some ways, you know, take care of everything else, but in that our connection to each other and even to ourselves gets so lost. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. It thinks it makes me think that living most alive is probably far less busy. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, it's not all a hundred percent doing and to your point, just being out there doing wild things while it may include that it has to also include just the moments of space where we can do really almost nothing other than (laughs) to recognize ourselves and each other. Mm, Beautifully said, recognizing ourselves and each other. Yeah. And I I pulled up this quote just now by Matt. Max Lucado, and I'll read it. It is, when you are in the final days of your life, what will you want? Will you hug that college degree in its walnut frame? Will you ask to be carried to the garage so you can sit in your car? Will you find comfort in rereading your financial statement? Of course not. What will matter most then will be people. And if people matter most then, shouldn't they matter now? Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I think like, you know, we're on, we're on Reiki radio, Let, let's get woo woo with it. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have a belief that, that in the words of, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember, um, her name right now, but she wrote this beautiful book about her near death experience. And she writes about how, when she had her near death experience, she could see that, you know, up in, up in the everything, up in the source that we're all this interconnected tapestry and that, you know, we're, we're all one and we're all interconnected. And I just found that to be such a beautiful visualization because what I find in life is, you know, I'm, I'm an Aries. I tend to be a pretty individualistic person, right? Like you might die tomorrow, live today, share your self-expression. And, and I really do believe that. I believe that that is important. I believe that's part of our purpose on earth is to show our true colors and who we really are and to engage in the journey of discovering that. And I also know that most of the lessons that we learn we don't learn in a vacuum by ourselves. We learn through the practical application, through our relationships and our engagements with other people, right? So I, uh, I'll tell you about what a sand grain is to me. So for example, in my life, one of my sand grains is my little brother. We just kind of like, we butt heads, we rub each other the wrong way. As much as he drives me nuts, I absolutely drive him, him nuts. And so I consider him one of my sand grains. 
And if I'm the oyster and he's the sand grain in my life, and there's that friction, that friction is developing pearls in me. And in the case of my brother, it's developing pearls of empathy, me learning to be empathetic to a person that I don't always see eye to eye with. I get to develop the pearls of boundaries and what I will and will not stand for. Mm -hmm. And I also get to develop the pearls of love, love for my fellow human, for my brother, for my family member and for myself. And so you so beautifully said our ability to see ourselves in another and that if we want growth, I believe that we have to seek that out in our relationships with others. Of course, there's individual work, but next time you're going through a hard time with someone, a boss, a family member, even a disability or a loss, remember that those that friction is creating pearls within you that's making you into the person that you want to be. I want to be an empathetic uh, boundary filled and loving boundary and loving person. And my brother's giving me the opportunity in that it's not easy, <laughs> yeah. uh, but those are the pearls that, that develop. It's interesting you say that. Cause it makes me wonder if that's why we have the quote pearls of wisdom because of what it takes. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's beautifully said. I'm loving all these. Woo. I, who knew I get excited because you never know what conversations will be like and um, just really enjoying this with you. Mm, I want you. to ask you about um, the alcohol and here's why I have a friend who is, mm, I want to say he's over. Gosh, I forget how many years now, but I know it's over 10 years sober. We actually did a podcast together, but never posted it because the sound was terrible. But he shared in his um, addiction, what he came to recognize and realize is it became um, something that he thought allowed him to be more of his authentic self. And that was the draw. And that would took that's what took him in deeper because he felt more confident to be how he wanted to express when he was using whatever substance of choice he did. Mm. And I had that whole conversation with him, but it, it makes me curious about in the giving up of alcohol, because there's a lot of reasons of why anyone may, you know, use alcohol, drugs, anything at all. But what happens when you make that decision of I'm going to remove this from my life what happens in terms of then the way you start to see yourself and which parts of you you recognize as authentic or, you know, like a, a mask that was induced by the alcohol? What was that like? Well, I'll let you know when I find out. <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's like, it's totally a process, right? Like uh, I'll share what I know so far, but yeah. I believe that because I started drinking when I was like 15 and I stopped when I was, I guess, 31, that there, that those were, it's not that I didn't get to know myself at all in those years, but it was, I think certainly at a deficit because I opted to not deal with my problems and instead would deal with them by disassociating. And, and to be clear, I think my addiction was not even necessarily to alcohol. Mm -hmm. I think my addiction, it was, and still is that I still struggle with to disassociation. So I still struggle with disassociating through sugar or 
scrolling through social media. Uh, and so I'm still working through my addiction to disassociation, which is funny for a person who talks a lot about feeling alive and like really being present in life. And I think that's why I value it so much is because I have this, this pull and this compulsion to, to hide out and to disappear from life and to check out. And, and what I've learned so far in my almost four years now of being alcohol free is that I found so much freedom in taking alcohol away from my life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wasn't a person who was drinking all day, every day and, ev and every night, but I was a person who spent a lot of time in my mind negotiating about my alcohol use. Like, oh, am I going to drink tonight? Oh, I shouldn't. I drank last night. But then, you know, it's like, okay, should I go to the store? And then you end up going to the store or, and then it's like, oh, I'm only gonna have one glass. And then I end up having three, or I'm only going to go out to the wine thing, the wine tour and have one glass of wine. It just took up all of this real estate in my mind. And the story of how I got sober is this, it was that I had been just feeling like, I mean, and to be fair, also, I grew up with um, an alcoholic parent. And so it was very familiar to me, the struggle with alcohol. And, um, so for several years I had been like, this isn't really that fun anymore. I'm negotiating with myself all the time. I'm breaking promises to myself all the time. Like, and I would try to quit for like a couple of weeks and I would always end up going back to it. And, um, I was, uh, I went to go to this little art town in West Texas that I really like. And I got there and I noticed on like the community board, it's literally a small town. There's like 2000 people. And, um, on the community board, it said, oh, here's a here's a meeting that you can go to. And I was like, oh, you know, like nobody knows me here. I could totally go to one of those meetings that they talk about. Like, you know, I'm like in hiding here. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to my computer and I opened it up and it said for this particular one, it's not the case for all of them, but said the only requirement to attend this meeting is to say that you are an alcoholic. And I was like, boom, close the laptop. Uh, -uh No way. I'm not going to admit that. There's no way. Well, that weekend, a friend of mine came to visit and we were just drinking so much. And I woke up just feeling hungover and uh, my friend left and I was sitting on the back porch and I just had this realization of the freedom that we can experience when we humble ourselves enough to say that we have a problem with something that could be alcohol, that could be love addiction, it could be sex addiction, social media, food, I mean, name it, like whatever compulsion it is for you, like it's cool. I've been there. I know. But the freedom that I experienced and just saying, yeah, actually, like, this is kind of beyond my control. And I do want to ask for help. And that I can't begin to tell you how free that made me feel. Because then I no longer a had to negotiate with myself, because I decided I wasn't going to drink ever again. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to quit for three weeks. It was like, no, I'm just like, I'm going to identify as an non-drinker and I'm going to try to own that and think about how cool that is and experience the freedom of what it's like to to be humble and to say that um, something in my life is stronger than me and I'm interested to be curious and explore what it's like to not only get to know Kate but to get to know life differently. I love that. Get to know life differently. But it's interesting just you saying the freedom that comes with that, because then it also shows how much what we're attached to, we often don't realize the effect. And it's so interesting, even just hearing you talk about the way that you were negotiating with yourself. And again, 
you know, a lot of us may do that with anything, any vice, any, anything, but we don't necessarily, again, look at how that may be impacting us. And to your point, how much time and space and energy and effort it takes from us, how draining it can be. That, that is a beautiful story. Um, you well, know, I have one, one idea that I'd love to add here, which yeah. is if you want to do an exercise right now that I think could change your life, it is to ask yourself, where do I get my self-worth from? And we're all human. And so there are intrinsic and extrinsic sources of self-worth. And I can tell you, like when I worked at Google, I thought I was so cool working at Google <laughs> at this prestigious company. And I totally like just could work. And I would get to say, oh, I work for a little company you've probably never heard of Google. I even had that little joke thing because I really de de like derived self-worth from this cool job that I had. And that was one of the reasons that I ended up having to leave Google after I had my awakening after Dan died is because I realized how hollow that was that I was getting my self-worth from a job, which is again, like in that quote from Max Lucado, like jobs we can do, like they are important and we can do beautiful things in our work, but ultimately it's probably not, my job at Google is not ultimately what I'm going to be the most proud of when I'm 99 years old and looking back on my life. And similarly, if you have an addiction, are you getting self-worth from saying that I don't have an addiction? Are you getting self-worth from saying I'm not an alcoholic or a shopaholic or whatever? And, and that's truly, it's a subjective term. For me, alcoholic is whatever I define it to be. Shopaholic is whatever I define it to be. And I define it to be, if it's detracting from my life more than it's adding to my life, then I'm probably, and I'm still engaging in it, then I'm probably an alcoholic to it to some degree. And so look at the areas of your life, look at your job, look at where are you getting your self-worth? Is it wrapped up in accolades and achievements that maybe if you look at your life through the lens of if you might die tomorrow or what you'll think about your life when you look back from the perspective of your deathbed, it's stuff that doesn't really matter. And it requires humility to do that. Yeah. But oh my gosh, if you do that now, you will not have to worry about having a potential regret or reflection of that you wasted your life living it for someone else. So you wasted your life chasing hollow sources of self-worth. And if you're like, oh, well, maybe I'm getting hollow self-worth for my job and chasing after a certain amount of money and a certain amount of status. Kate, where should I get my self-worth from? Yeah. And you should get your self-worth from the fact that you were born and the fact that you have all of these beautiful gifts and weird idiosyncrasies. And again, that weird crinkle in your eye and that cowlick in your hair and that you're meant to be here to be you. You should get yourself worth from helping people, from loving yourself, from enjoying your life and having fun. Those are intrinsic sources of self-worth as opposed to these extrinsic sources. And it's not like, oh, you flip a switch and like suddenly I get all my self-worth from these beautiful intrinsic sources. No, we're always going to get caught up in the next thing and the next achievement, but it requires us to continually have that radical honesty and to look, take moments every year, let's say, to look around your life and be like, am I getting too caught up in stuff that doesn't matter? And then just course correct 
right? I'll just end with this beautiful analogy that I heard from a friend of mine who's a sailor. And she told me that when a, when a sailboat puts the boat on autocorrect to get from point A to point B, that you think, oh, it just goes in a straight line and that's how you get to where you're going. But actually, as that boat goes along on autopilot, it's actually making tons and tons of these little micro corrections along the way in response to wind and waves and current and everything else. And so I like to think that's how we live our lives, that we continually waves of getting but we continually just make these micro corrections and we'll ultimately get to the gold of of where we want to go and who we want to be in this life. That is gorgeous. And it's funny, it's the story that you tell and what it is you recognize. It goes back to it reminds me so much of what my friend said. I mean, it was this point of realizing that he was identifying through the substance and you know, this this attachment to a false identification of self and the real work was in claiming who he was in authenticity free of that. And I mean, it's just interesting to think of, again, how many ways we all may be doing this, no matter the degree. I mean, obviously, if it's something more extreme, we may recognize it as, you know, a crutch or something that we are using to mask anything. But I think we do it in so many, we, we surrender ourselves over to a lot. Whether to your point, if it's our job or a relationship or whatever it may be, we've, I think a lot of us have encountered at least the experience of that. And so what you're saying and the question is just, is so powerful. So this makes me um, very curious about the book, but before we get into it, I, I do want to know about that transition for you, because I know in reading about your work, you did have a time where you started to travel and you were living, you had this RV lifestyle, you traveled the world. What was that like for you? And what did you discover about yourself in that exploration? Mm hmm. I'm still I'm still working on it. I'm still figuring it out for sure. But what I can share from my field notes so far <laughs> is that, um, you know, it, it's a broad question. But what I learned in the beginning is, you know, after Dan died, I was just electrified because, um, you know, do I wish that Dan died? No. But just like you learned, you like we can't control that Dan or your friends died. But what we can control is what we learn and what we take away from that, which absolutely did happen. And there's a lot right. of trauma and tragedy happening in the world right now. And that we have certain elements of it that are in our control, but largely we there it's with outside of our control. But what is within our control is what lessons we take and how we implement those in our own lives. Peace, peace begins with each one of us individually. And after Dan died, I was just electrified. I was like, oh my God, I might die tomorrow. That used to be the scariest thing I could possibly think of. Now it's giving me clarity and perspective and urgency and a sense of aliveness. And back when I was 28, the big thing was I wanted to quit my job at Google and travel around the world. I had just this just deep thirst to, to explore the world and get to know people and to change paths and learn about myself. And so that's what I did. And what happened was it was amazing. It was like full eat, pray, love, right? Mm -hmm. 
And that is that, like I said earlier, I think a vibrant life is going to have on its path the moments of big change because those opportunities come in all of our lives. But truly my greatest lesson is that to really be alive, we can't always be quitting jobs and climbing to, you know, a mountaintop that to really be alive is to learn how to feel alive when we're standing at the kitchen sink doing dishes, Mm. or we are in the tragic challenging moments of our lives. And so I really see now that the greatest quest of my life is to learn how to be alive on any given day, to learn how to appreciate all of life, including the dark moments, the the challenging moments. And that was what I realized recently. It was like, oh, I, for many years, I was talking about how I love life. And then last year, like I told you, I was in one of the darkest moments of my life and I was like raging against it. Like, oh, this is so painful. This is so horrible. Get me out of it. And of course that's a normal reaction. But at one point I realized like, oh, I've been talking about how I love life for all of these years. But if I can't love pain, which is an inherent part of being alive, then I'm a fraud. I'm not truly embracing the full spectrum of being alive. And so that's my quest now is to appreciate the silent small moments, right? Through, through beautiful walks in nature and uh, deep conversations with beautiful people like you. And it's also learning how to really feel into those challenging moments. And uh, the song Everlong is really important to me, you know, the Foo Fighters song. Uh, And the reason that it's important to me is because there's a lyric in there that says, uh, don't ever stop when I say when. And to me, what that means is when I'm in my dark, challenging moments, I like to, honestly, I'll go for a walk in my neighborhood and I'll be like really feeling and I'll be crying and I'll open my arms up and I'll say, God, don't stop when I say when. I know you're only giving me what I can handle. I know that pain is part of being alive. And just the act of opening myself to challenge and struggle and the pain that I'm going in and embracing it as part of being alive, but also opening myself, it actually creates like a sieve. And it begins to flow through me in a way. And so I'll listen to that beautiful song Everlong, Don't Ever Stop When I Say When, and I'll open my arms. And I highly recommend it if you're in a challenging moment in your life right now to do that and to feel how the pain will begin to flow through you like rain. No, I can appreciate that. I can relate to that. Um, That was something I learned a lot in the last few years. Like during that, um, the last few years, I was back East with my family, which I typically, even now I'm 3000 miles away from them, but I was over there in DC for about three years, like right there with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but at that time I was going through something very challenging and I, you know, sometimes it can be hard to navigate your grief and all of the things when you're surrounded by people who are also grieving or whatever it is they're focused on. But one of the things I did was there was one thing in particular that was very painful, very hard, but I did. I remember every morning I would cry in the shower, but not cry like, woe is me, like cry, let it move. And I really was appreciating that I knew it was changing me. And even if I didn't really fully understand how or why or what the freedom would feel like on the other side, which happened to be incredible, being in the thick of it, just that knowing that this is changing me 
And that's what let me embrace what felt so heavy and dense, like knowing that there was some wisdom there, um, just some help. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? And I oh, think yeah. a lot of times we associate only the good with it's easy to appreciate like the laughter and the joy and the fun. But I think we have to just even question that for ourselves sometimes, even reflect back on how some of the most challenging times ended up changing you in profound ways or opening you up to realizing something or creating a new path on your in your life that you weren't expecting, whatever that may be. Yeah. Very, I mean, these are some, listen, people are learning today from you, Kate. <laughs> I know that much. <laughs> well, all of it is guaranteed and none of it stays. Yeah. And that applies to joy, struggle and everything in between. It's always yeah. guaranteed the struggle it's coming. It's going to keep coming. The joy it's coming. It's going to keep coming and none of it stays. And that was one of the truths that helped me get out of that challenging time last year was remembering and really forcing myself to remember everything is temporary, even though it feels like this is going to go on forever and there's no way out. Nothing lasts forever. Yes. And to think, to bring it to a heavier topic for a moment, you know, what I'll say is that when those three friends died and maybe you can identify with this a little bit, it was, I had never really spent any time in my life thinking about death. It was like, oh, death is something that's going to happen when I'm 99 or 109 years old. I don't have to worry about it. And so unfortunately, since I did not take that opportunity to explore and create a relationship and just have an understanding of my mortality, what happened when those three friends died was I was bowled over with shock. And so before I even got a chance to begin to mourn those people, I had to get through the shock. And I think that happens to us too when when we have any type of challenge in our lives is we just think the good times when they're good, it's going to last forever. And then another challenge comes and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't, what? I thought I was going to be good forever. And so there is benefit in anticipating good and anticipating challenge because then when someone dies if we have an understanding that death is as natural as birth and that everyone dies and it can be at any time then when someone does die unexpectedly sure there might be some shock but it won't be as deep gutting shock as if you never entertain the idea that a challenge and something hard comes up, you will be able to skip over the shock part and get to the getting through it part. Instead right. of, I think a lot of times PTSD, and I'm not saying this from a clinical perspective, I am actually getting my master's in psychology right now, but I say this from a, a theoretical Kate's opinion standpoint, which is that I think a lot of times PTSD is a period of absolute shock and not being able to put together the pieces of what happened. And while that's perfectly normal, I think a lot of us would prefer to avoid PTSD. And I think part of it is anticipating challenge and anticipating loss um, from the perspective of it being totally natural so that when those things happen, yes, we're going to have stress and we're going to have shock, but we can move through that more quickly so we can get to the meat of actually dealing with things. And uh, I do know that there is a concept called PTG. 
called post-traumatic growth. So many of us are familiar with post-traumatic stress. We just talked about it. But post-traumatic stress is usually when something happens that breaks our worldview, right? Like someone dies and we're like, how could God do that? Or young people die. I didn't, I didn't think of that. And suddenly we have to like reassemble our truth of what life is and what can and can't happen. Well, a lot of times when we are able to reassemble that truth, we experience what's called PTG, post-traumatic growth, which is what it sounds like you experienced after your three friends died. And I know I experienced after my four friends died, which is that I was able to reassemble my worldview in a new way that actually made me feel stronger and more whole. And I think when we can alleviate some of the shock by expecting challenge and knowing that we're strong enough to hold it, we can progress through the post-traumatic stress more quickly and get to the growth that comes from, just like you so beautifully said, the challenging moments of our lives. Yeah. And, you know, even with you saying that, it's, I'm just thinking in the background, I think a lot of times you know, people have a challenge with this, I know, is because sometimes it's, it's almost like if we acknowledge that it's possible to grow through these kinds of things, or if we acknowledge that it's possible to have appreciation for whatever we encountered in those relationships or on, in that, those jobs. I mean, people grieve all kinds of things, right? But I think there's something we even have to recognize if we have that mindset that attaches us to the idea that we have to ignore what the gift may have been in order to validate the grief, the care, you, do you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. sometimes we give so much story around why we will attach ourselves to not being able to see there really was something in here that is contributing to my growth or that it is possible that I can grow or expand or evolve or even love more because of this. Because I think that's a big thing too, is sometimes these most challenging things can crack us open to a deeper kind of love that we may not have even known was possible. But if we have a story that we're supposed to only be sad, do you know what I mean? And it's not oh, to you're gonna take make me away. cry. That's <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not at all saying like, you know, to take away from people's sadness, like we feel what we feel, but just just even giving ourselves that. Yeah. What I like to do is to think about all the shit that I've been through, divorce, addiction, loss. I mean, we could go on and on, right? Like we've all been through challenge. We've, we've been through trauma. So think about all of those things that you've been through. If you've been divorced, you can now relate to and empathize with every other human on the planet yeah. And every other soul generations forward and back who has ever gone through divorce. If you have experienced abuse, horrific. Oh, like I don't wish it on anyone. Yeah. However, you can now empathize with every other soul on this planet and generations forward and back who has experienced that. You can have a conversation with them and relate to them in a way that nobody else who hasn't experienced that can. And so every time I go through something last year, I was, I'll be real. I was suicidal. I did not, I didn't understand why I was here. I felt like I had been left behind by God. 
And that was the first time. I mean, I had like a little suicidal bout when I was like 14, when my hormones were going wild. Yeah. But this was the first time I had ever really felt suicidal as an adult. And now, number one, I can tell you I'm on the other side and I'm happier than I've been in my life. And that was really just in December of last year. We're now in October. So if you are feeling that, know that things absolutely can change. Nothing lasts forever. Please hang on. And number two, I can now identify with every other person who has ever wanted to leave this life and who's ever hurt so bad and not understood why we're here. And so know that everything that you've gone through, it connects us. And just like you said earlier, Yolanda, so beautiful that we can see ourselves in other people. We can see ourselves in the traumas of other, and we can therefore help others through that. Yes, absolutely. And again, it's, it's just wild hearing you say this because it just reminds me again of how much we have no idea of each other's struggles, right? But also that possibility, even through your story, that it is possible that we can get through anything on the other side of anything, even though when we're in it, it just, it just often feels like there is no way, there is no way, but God, your story is so inspiring, Kate, and not just your story. I mean, your story, yes but your way of seeing it and your perception and um, just the way you articulate it all is just absolutely beautiful. So I have to ask you, because I know we're running out of time. Um, I really want to know more about your book and this title again, you might die tomorrow. So live today after hearing so much of your story. I mean, perfect title, right? But <laughs> what made you even want to write this book and who is it for? Oh my goodness. Who is it for? I've never been asked that question. I think I just had this radical transformation of realizing that I might die tomorrow and how it offered me all these qualities that I wanted in life. Like I said, clarity, perspective, urgency, aliveness, prioritization of love and people. It was like, I just, you know, I was able to, and of course I'm still, I struggle with it every day. It wasn't like I said at the beginning, if you don't flip a switch and then you're like that every single day, all day, but it was re it just changed all of my priorities. And the funny thing was, is like, when I realized that my mortality gave me all everything that I had been looking for, I was like, why isn't everybody talking about this? Like this has just <laughs> shifted so much. Am I the first person to realize that death is the key to living fully alive? And so I literally started Googling like, who's talking about death being the key to living fully alive? And I'm like Googling, trying to figure out like, can I be, I can't be the only one. And I came across so much. I came across this amazing quote by Steve Jobs. Remembering I'll be dead soon is the best tool I've ever encountered to make the big choices in life. Because in the face of death, everything falls away. Fear of failure, pride, embarrassment. And what we're left with is that the realization that we're already naked and there's no reason to follow our heart. I realized that ancient Buddhists, ancient Christians uh, would, would actually meditate with skeletons and bones. I learned that, um, you know, memento mori, an old Latin term, old <laughs> being in the loosest sense of the word, it's like the, one of the oldest, is has been around for forever. Memento mori, remember you will die. And the reason that I wrote the book was because I just wanted everybody to feel what I felt. And yeah. so I kind of wrote it for everybody. Yeah. And 
and I'm desperate to share it with people. And, you know, the book is, you know, if you have an inspiring message like you do, Yolanda, and like so many people listening, I'm sure do, you know, we have to speak in the way that people are listening. So I speak, I do mentorship and coaching. I write books. I like to sing. I do art installations. I try to work in all these different mediums. That's why I call myself not just a speaker or an author. I call myself an inspirer. And it's like, you know, whatever medium I'll work in is to get through to people is, um, is what I'll do. And I think that there is that, you know, like you said, we're running out of time and I really just want to close on this notion of it is not selfish to enjoy your life. It is not selfish to prioritize your own enjoyment. It is not selfish to follow your bliss. Where does goodness come from? Where does positivity come from? Positivity comes from positivity. And by just going about the day, even if you don't want to change anything about the particulars of your life, your job, your relationship, like those are good. If you just change the way you go about your life and just start to be gratitude for the grateful for the fact that you're not dead, grateful for the fact that you're not uh, or that you're alive, grateful for the beautiful blue sky and the for the challenges that we have. If you just begin to go through life with a slightly different perspective of enjoying yourself and having fun, you will create the most profound ripples that will absolutely change the world and will absolutely create a legacy that will go on for generations beyond which you can ever comprehend. Wow. Have fun every day sounds so empty and so cliche, but I will go to my dying day telling <laughs> you to have fun every single day because the way that we show up, that's that's what it's all about. That's how we change the world. Sure, open the nonprofit. Sure, mentor young people. Sure, donate to charity. Great. Absolutely do those things. But do not overlook your greatest ability to change the world. And that's who you are. That is so gorgeous. And I'm so glad that you pointed out um, that it's not selfish because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, which, you know, now we don't have the time, but you covered it was reminding ourselves that we can accept joy, especially in a world when we see like so many people in suffering around us. I think sometimes even unconsciously, we think we have to be in that same, you know, um, resonance just to be relatable or to show that we are empathetic. And I often tell people, but think of how inspiring it is when you are in your sadness and there's someone who can hold that space for you at a higher level to help you, you know, work through and lift up through whatever you're going through. So I'm so glad you mentioned it's not selfish, but it's also healing, like not just for you, but even the people that you may encounter. Um, there's a couple other things I have to tell you really quick. You remind me of, I literally this morning had a session with an artist and, um, we were talking about just that, like that gift of how, you know, she gets to use her medium to inspire and awaken and, you know, create shifts in consciousness by whoever is exposed to her art. But, you know, that comes in various forms. I want to know about you and Burning Man. Um, also with <laughs> yeah. death, <laughs> With death in one of my classes recently, um, it just came up about um, the looking at our lives as like, we're just visitors, right? And if we have this opportunity to visit 
and even looking at like everyone around us, like we're all here to visit. Like there never was this promise or guarantee of forever. Then how does that shift things for us if we Mm. just accept that this is more of a visitation? So while you're here, what are you going to do? Right. Um, and well, the, the thing that you have to do for that is you have to get your best <laughs> hair flip. So I want everyone, I don't care if you're driving your car right now, listening to this. I want you to do a huge hair flip and be the main Thank character you. of your story because yes. you are a limited time offer. You are absolutely <laughs> a limited time offer. And so you hair flip your way, you main character your way through your life because truly we don't know how long we have. You are yeah. literally a limited time offer. And so, you know, walk that catwalk. I love yeah, that. Be bold You're... enough to be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> a limited time offer. Just really, really quick. I have to ask you while you're here. And one, I want everyone to know that your book, You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today, we'll have the links for that below. You also created a workbook to go along with it to really inspire and help people with working through how to put this into action, like how to actually um, implement some things that will support us in living more fully. But you mentioned, you kind of glazed over, you've done some art installations. And I was reading that you um, did this at Burning Man. Could you share really quickly? I've never met anyone who's actually gone there. So what (laughs) is it about? And what, um, what was that like? Like even just being able to present something that would be able to be a, a catalyst for change or shift for people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, you come at an interesting time. I just completed uh, eight years of Burning Man and I've decided that I'm now taking a break. I, you know, things tend to happen in cycles of seven and I, it was actually seven burns over eight years because of COVID and, uh, Burning Man absolutely changed my life. And one of the ways that it changes people's lives is it just is this open canvas for you to experiment in a new type of society, for you to experiment in being this amplified version of yourself. And yeah, creating, that's why I created an art piece. And during Burning Man, the years that I went to Burning Man, that was when I got the courage to say I'm an artist, not because I make all of my income from from art, but because I feel like a creative being. And I firmly believe that we are all creative beings. And so Burning Man was this amazing play place and canvas for me to step into my role as an artist and a creator and an inspirer in life. The cool thing about Burning Man is that there's no like get me your application for your art and I'll tell tell you if your art is good enough to come to Burning Man. You literally just have to like fill out a safety form and follow actual like safety protocols. Nobody is telling you whether your art is good enough for you. You just have to get your shit together and and make it happen and and bring it and of course make sure it's safe. And so that really blew my mind. Not having a gatekeeper was like, "Oh, I don't have to have someone tell me that I'm an artist or tell me that my art is good enough in order for me to do it. And I encourage you to take that lesson into your life and to remember that a lot of us maybe subconsciously look around and wait around for gatekeepers to tell us, oh, I mean, look at you. You didn't wait around for a gatekeeper to tell you that you were amazing enough to have your own show. And here you are 10 years later, inspiring thousands and thousands of people, I'm sure. 
But you had that in the words of Elizabeth Gilbert, that arrogance of belonging to say, you know what, I'm not going to wait for a gatekeeper. I'm just going to do it. And so I encourage you to maybe look at the areas of your life where you might be looking for someone to give you permission or waiting for a gatekeeper to open the door for you when really all you got to do is put your hand on the doorknob and turn and turn the turn the knob. And that was really what Burning Man gifted me was this realization of it's called, um, you know, radical self-reliance and radical immediacy. Those are two of the main tenets of Burning Man and radical self-reliance is if you want something done in the world, do it. And radical immediacy is don't say you're going to do something later. Just start, start on the path. You don't have to have everything figured out. Just start doing it and things will take shape. And to me, that is akin to living a vibrant life. And that's akin yeah. to making our lives, uh, to living a fully alive life is not waiting for the gatekeeper, the permission and doing things now because we don't know how long we have. That is beautiful. It's funny. I'm thinking of how many ways that people wait for someone else to validate or give you permission of a title or someone else to tell you that you can claim anything. And I love that um, quote you said from Elizabeth Gilbert, arrogance of belonging. Like, yeah. Listen, Kate Manser, this has been an incredible conversation. I mean, really, truly, everything that came out of your mouth was just so inspiring. And I know that the community is going to love it. So I thank you so much again. And just as a reminder for everyone, Kate's book is called You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today. There is a workbook that accompanies it. So the links for both will be down in the show description. I also wanted to ask, do you still do the Alive Creative Writing Circle every month? Can people join that? Is that on? Yeah, join my Alive Creative Writing Circle. I, I believe that writing is just this beautiful channel. And so I, I do a creative writing circle every month where we do prompts and we you have the option to share your writing, which is really vulnerable and edgy and cool in this really safe space where there's really there's no criticism. Um, also, if you are navigating a big leap in your life. I specialize in mentoring people through those. I also specialize in mentoring people to feel more alive in our everyday life and to zoom out from everyday frustrations. Those are kind of my zones of genius. Yeah. And um, yeah, check out my book. Uh, if you like audiobooks, my audiobooks on Audible, I sing on it. Um, it's it's really fun and get in touch with me and keep listening to Yolanda. Like <laughs> you got it. You got it. Keep going until Thank you feel you. like it's time to do something else. That's part of being an artist is like, we don't have to do things forever. Maybe Yolanda's going to, she's got all these other crazy ideas, but whatever she does, <laughs> follow her. Thank you so much, my love. And we'll absolutely be following you. And I just want to let everyone know too, your website is katemanser.com, of course, down in the show description. And you can follow Kate on Instagram at the alive Kate, very much alive as we can see. Thank you so much. And for everyone else, we will see you soon. Bye for now. Okay, beautiful alchemist. I told you, Kate was incredible. I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation with her today. Um, her book, again, is called You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today. And there is an accompanying workbook that you can also get separately. And if you want to listen to the audiobook, that is available on audio 
um, on Audible as well. So go to her website, katemanser.com. The link for that is down below. You can also follow Kate on Instagram at the alive Kate. Learn more about her work. Um, be inspired more by her posts and all that she shares. I really, truly enjoyed this conversation. And I hope that you got some nuggets for yourself, some inspiration, some aha moments, or just something that you want to reflect on. I hope that it has supported you as always with all the episodes. That is my hope for you, for us. We learn and grow and exchange. So thank you again to Kate and for everyone else. Don't forget, if you want to get the early bird special for the Reiki Rays Global Healing Summit, you can grab that now. Go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com. Also, don't forget to download the app, the Energetic Alchemist app. If you have a um, Apple device, just go to the Apple App Store, put in the Energetic Alchemist if you have an Android, go to the Google Play Store. Same thing. Look up the Energetic Alchemist. Download the app. It is free. There is a lot of free content for you there. You can even watch these interviews through the app right there on your phone. Um, but there's just a lot there to support you in your path of energetic alchemy. And I hope that you enjoy that. So that is all for today, my lovelies. Remember to always journey in love. <music>